Welcome to the Trinity Reformed Church Podcast. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com. First Corinthians chapter 12. Rather than reading the entire chapter, we will begin in verse 1. We'll pick up with selected verses, but beginning 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversity, differences of ministries, but the same Lord. Verse 11 But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as He wills. For as the body is one and has many members, but all are the members of that one body, being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. For in fact the body is not one member, but many." If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And then verse 25. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word Thank you for placing us together into this local congregation, for bringing us together into your glorious body. And I pray that you would indeed open our ears and our hearts to receive from you. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. This is the last Sunday of our series on the four distinctives of our church. Previous weeks we have covered keeping your kids, worship, and community. Uh, Today the last one is Catholicity. Now when I, I use that term some, if you've not heard it before, you might get a little bit of a twitch because you say that sounds sort of scary. That sounds like Roman Catholic and we are certainly not Roman Catholic. But the word Catholicity here, when we say it, we're talking about walking in unity with other Christians. We all like unity. At least we like it as an idea until it demands more from us than we would prefer to give. 
then we would prefer other people to show unity. The Apostle Paul spends significant time in the latter portion of 1 Corinthians calling the church to Catholicity, and it's a recurring theme. Well, we, we can see it in chapter 1, we see it again in chapter 3, and in various places throughout the letter. You get the idea that the church there struggled to demonstrate unity. And I do want to differentiate. There is a difference between unity and uniformity. We are not called to all speak the exact same words we don't remove people from membership just because they have a different view of whether we should say thee or you in referring to God. Okay? So there, there is a difference. But Catholicity is not compromising on God's Word. It is not pretending to be nice, gritting your teeth, around someone you dislike. I mean, if that's the best you can do, well, by all means, but that's not the end. There. Catholicity is choosing to act with charity towards those with whom we disagree. Choosing to act with ch charity towards those with whom we disagree. When we practice Catholicity, we are preparing for life in the resurrection. We're preparing for life after the last day when we, when we all have died and we've been resurrected and we are together with the Lord. You say, have you ever wondered what, what will that be like? Well, we get to practice that now. Because here the, the day's going to come when in that time, in the new, the heavenly Jerusalem, when you and me and Johnny Cash and St. Augustine and Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis are all going to sit down together and we're going to have us a conversation. Now, I realize when I said that, some of you already said, you know, there's one of those that I really don't want to sit down with. That's okay. I won't talk, all right? I won't say anything, so it'll be fine. I'll listen. Perhaps a story can illustrate what Catholicity looks like in real time. Once there were two good friends. They were both Christians. They were from different traditions. They were opposites in personality. One was detailed, orderly, neat. Some people saw that, believed that he was too much so. The other was casual, laid back, and a bit slovenly. When the orderly one, the orderly friend, battled with severe depression in his work, his friend constantly encouraged him. He, he reminded him regularly of how important and how good this work was. But then the casual friend began to do a little bit of writing himself, and when he took it to his, his detailed friend, his detailed friend said that his work was terrible and a disorganized mess. Now, thankfully, that did not ruin the friendship. Thanks to the second friend's gracious response, he persisted despite his brutal friend predicting that will not sell at all. So how would you respond if your best friend told you that? 
If, you, if there's a project you'd poured yourself into, you've worked and worked and you've given yourself to it, and then your, friend, your best friend says that's not fit for public consumption. Responding to differences in opinion with love is the heart of Catholicity. You're reading through 1 Corinthians. You know, the, the great point in 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians 15, the chapter on the resurrection. But you don't get to 1 Corinthians 15 without going through 1 Corinthians 13, which is the chapter on love. You have to go through one to the other. You say, well, I can skip it. Well, you can, but in real life, you can't. Today I want to focus on three ways we can practice Catholicity. And it begins at home. Like all of these principles, it begins at home. But also we can practice it then inside the church, but then outside the church. So we can call this, because these three points, it's going to be A, B, C. So these are the A, B, C's of Catholicity. So number one, the first thing that we're called to do in Catholicity is appreciate the strengths of others. Appreciate the strengths of others. One of the interesting things in 1 Corinthians is that Paul says the instrument of our unity with other believers is the work of the Holy Spirit through the sacraments. That is baptism. We read that in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14 where he says, For we are by one Spirit baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and all have been made to drink, in one, drink of one Spirit. But the other, we can read in chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, the other, the other sacrament is a communion meal. He talks about how when we eat together, we are bound together into one loaf. So the same Spirit, this is the work of the Spirit who does this. He works through these gifts. That same Spirit gives gifts. He gives strengths to all of us. But we don't all have the same strengths. So we must not despise others just because somebody else doesn't have the same strength that you do or that I do. Now, now, with some people, we can look at them, and, and, and I know you've probably never looked at someone and said, I don't see one strength here. Hopefully not. If you ever find yourself thinking that, you need to pray. You need to pray first for yourself that your attitude will change, and then for the person that God will work in them. But granted, for some people, their strengths are not developed as much, or they are not... You know, they're not public. Paul talks about that further in 1 Corinthians 12. There are some gifts that we just don't see. Some people don't have a public gift. If every man in this room said, I'm called to be a preacher, well, guess what? Eventually, you're going to run out of Sundays. But I'll go ahead and tell you, not everybody in here is called to preach. And if I were to do some of the things that you're good at, you would say, you're not called to this at all. It would be evident. That's okay. This is how the Lord works. Most of us are aware of our own gifts. And when I say gifts, don't think too esoterically about this. Just think, what are the areas where you are gifted? What are the things that you are able to do, the things that you value? 
We're aware of what we value, of what we place a high priority on. But then we naturally judge others based on what we value. So if you feel that that there should be certain things that every church should have, every church should be strong in X area, and then the church is not, or you see suffering, gifts. If the church were only made of my strengths or of your strengths, it wouldn't be healthy. And you can even expand this to denominations. There are certain denominations who are stronger in one area than another. I'm just going to tell you, if it were not for those that we, that we would call charismatic, there would be a lot of people who are poor who would be in terrible shape today because they give themselves better than most to helping those who are in need. And for that, we should thank the Lord. And we could go on. We could talk about a lot more. But I'm saying it's true for denominations as well. So Paul calls the church to not only acknowledge but appreciate the different gifts of others. So first of all, we're called to appreciate the strengths of others. And we should, even in our homes, we we cannot give in to demanding our spouse or our children reflect our individual gifts. So instead, what we are called to do is learn, be a student of your kids, be a student of your spouse. What are his or her gifts? How can I help this person grow in their gifts? Not how can I help them grow in my gifts? God made us to supply what's lacking in his kingdom. But that won't happen if I require everyone else to, to look like me. Number two, we're called to bear with the weaknesses of others. We appreciate the strengths of others. Number two, we bear with the weaknesses of others. I said this before in a different way, and I'll say it again now. This does not mean ignoring sin. You don't tell someone, if you've got somebody in your home or a fellow church member who says, you know, I, I, I shoplift all the time. You don't say, well, I hope you start tapering off. You know, gradually just try not to shoplift as much. And then I'm going to keep, I'll, I'll keep this to myself and not say, no, you don't do that. So that's not bearing with the bearing I'm I'm talking about. But bearing with people's weaknesses means that there are things that sometimes we encounter in other people that we want to think is sin because we want to criticize it. We want to break them of that. But it's actually just a case of limited vision. Paul addresses this type of thing in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 23 and 24. For all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. 
Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. So let me ask you something. Is it good to buy someone a drink? Probably, unless a person's a recovering alcoholic. Right? Someone's in pain, and you've got prescription painkillers, you say, well, I could do this person good, but is it? I mean, you have to think through this. Maturity here means that I must learn not only the strengths of someone, but I must also be aware of their weaknesses as well. Now, of course, we don't promote brothers or sisters to into positions of greater responsibility just to protect their feelings. We, we've seen this before. Someone is promoted just because, well, they've been around for a while. Maybe everybody knows that they're not really competent for this particular job, but we don't want to make them feel bad. Now, in the business world, there is some limitation to this. Having worked in the, in the government sector long enough, the uh, Sadly, the government doesn't have that same concern. And so what we often will promote just, because, just based on someone's years, not their ability. So do you, do you judge a person with bad eyesight just because he or she can't see a beautiful sunset? Well, I hope not. But you don't make them a scout in your military either. The same principle applies. There, there are uh, those of us who do not have the same... I mean, some of us have weaknesses in areas, and we have to bear with those people. And it's tough. I mean, I will grant you, it is tough. There are a lot of times the easiest thing to do is just to say, I'm going to hit this hard. I'm going to deal with this. When you've all talked to someone, have you ever, parents, have you ever tried to explain a math problem to your child, and the child just can't get it. And then you were tempted, but only tempted, you resisted faithfully, but only tempted to be impatient because they just don't get it. Why not? I mean, obviously, the wise among us can understand this. Okay, Extrapolate that to pretty much every area in existence, and that's what Paul's saying. We're called to bear with the weaknesses of others. Romans 15, 1, Who are strong, we who are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak, but not to please ourselves. Are you a strong person? Prove it. Show patience to people. Some people are socially awkward. Is that sin? No. It's just a little bit uncomfortable. That's all right. Three things, very quickly, under this point of bearing with. Three things we can do to bear with others. First of all, get to know the people in your life. Get, get to know the people around you. Learn where they are weak. Number two... Don't put people in a position to fall. If you, let's say you've got 
a neighbor who's Lutheran. Don't tempt your argumentative Lutheran friend with a juicy Martin Luther put-down. Okay? Don't ask me if I've ever seen this in, in, in captivity before or anything. That don't do that. that. That's not kind. You may say, oh, it's, it's fun, but okay, but is it kind? Number three, practice patience when someone's weakness reveals itself. And it will. So, so learn. This is part of how you learn. And again, starts at home. This is, home is the place where God lets us have the most practice in demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. So, we're called to appreciate the strengths of others, to bear with the weaknesses of others, and third, consider the different views of others. Consider the different views of others. People have different perspectives on a lot of things. Some denominations differ on major doctrines, like the difference between Protestants and Roman Catholics. Some denominations differ on minor doctrines, whether or not we should have exclusive a cappella psalmody, or whether we can sing other hymns in worship. So it can be hard to differentiate between a weakness and a different viewpoint. Classic example here, how do you observe the Lord's Day or the Sabbath? What do you call the Lord's Day or the Sabbath? What are, what's required, what's forbidden? There are people who have broken fellowship over just what to call it. There are people who have broken fellowship on how it's practiced. We all have our opinions on various topics, and we all believe we are right. Now, part of serving in a church, in a local church, means that there are some, some things that you will disagree with the views of the leadership and the practice of the church. Can you disagree? Well, look, I can say for our church, there is a lot of areas where we, we can disagree. But there are certain areas that we're going to practice one, a particular thing. And if you have a different view, that's fine. We will accommodate as far as it, as, far as it is possible, but we're not going to change what our standards are. So the classic case for our church is baptism. Our church is based on the Westminster Confession of Faith, which calls for the children of covenant believers, the children of Christians, says that they should be baptized. If someone disagrees with that, if you're credo Baptist, that's fine. And we will even, when the opportunity presents itself, glad to baptize one on profession of faith by immersion. But that is not our normal standard. And there are other areas. There, there are areas that are not in a confession, but there are areas that our leaders, our, our session of elders, has, we have a particular view, and we would say we're not going to divide over this as long as others do not cause dissension and do not try to sway others 
towards their view. This is part of how God has made us to work together. Maturity here means making judgments about what you believe is best and operating accordingly while simultaneously allowing others to hold and practice differently. Now here we have to be on guard. In John chapter 7, verses 22 through 24, Jesus addresses some religious leaders who were angry, which is very common for religious leaders to be angry with Jesus. If you read in the Gospels. But Jesus had healed a man on the Sabbath. How dare he? So he says, John 7, verses 22 through 24, Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. In other words, this command regarding the Sabbath and circumcision on the Sabbath was being turned against God's original purpose for the Sabbath. Now, Jesus' metaphor, which is, I will say is clearer in Greek than it is in English, is striking. He says, you guys circumcise, you cut a male on the Sabbath at Moses' command, but you forbid me from making a man whole on the Sabbath. He's contrasting cutting versus healing. And he says, you're doing one thing, but I'm doing, what's the problem with me making someone whole? Because that's what the Sabbath is for. It's to complete us. It's given that time of rest and then the following, the first day, the new creation. It's, it's given to us to restore us. Our inner Pharisee wants to take God's commands and use them to judge and cut others apart. This is the human way. We want to slice and dice our neighbors to the glory of God. In fact, the purpose of the law, Jesus is saying, is to make men whole, to restore, to heal. So the question to you is this. Do you use God's word to heal and restore others or to cut them up into fine pieces in order to win your debate? Again, let's take this to, the, to, to our home. Let's say you disagree with your spouse on something. Now, I've heard that that has happened once or twice to someone in here. You disagree with your spouse about something. Do you try to win a debate with him or her to, to, to sway that person, or do you trust God to convince them of the rightness of your cause? I'll let a moment of uncomfortable silence continue there. What about your friends? What does it profit a man if he wins every argument but loses the souls of those around him or her? Ladies can be guilty of this too. We, will, we all want our way because we believe we're right. 
But I will tell you, according to what Jesus is saying, don't take God's Word and use it as a way of harming others. But use it for its its intended purpose, to restore others. Catholicity, brothers and sisters, will be practiced through the rest of eternity. We will never escape the strengths, abilities, and different approaches of other people. Being in the, in the re, when we have resurrected bodies, that does not mean that we're all going to be the exact, look the same, act the same, think the same, that we'll all be the, these all automatons. No. It means more of what God intends us to be than we could ever be here. You think we have diversity in this world now? You've seen nothing. It's going to be greater. But our calling is to learn how to embrace rather than escape these differences. We must be like that laid-back friend I mentioned earlier. His name you'll probably recognize. It's C.S. Lewis, who patiently bore with the criticism of his friend J.R.R. Tolkien, who could not stand the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We can be thankful that Lewis persisted in publishing that book. And both men persisted in their friendship, despite this and other disagreements. So do you want to build Christendom? Do you want to see the fellowship of saints across states, countries, and nations? The foundation for a new Christian age is laid when we choose to love others, despite their different strengths weaknesses, and views. Catholicity is built one patient and charitable act at a time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would indeed use it to work through us and stir us to love and good works. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more, check out our website at trinityreformedkirk.com. That's trinityreformedkirk.com.